Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm excited to be joined today by Allison Reed, Chief Global Growth Officer with Ambridge Hospitality. Ambridge is a leading global hospitality company offering best-in-class hotel management services across a broad spectrum of all segments, with a portfolio representing over 1,500 properties in 50 states and 23 countries. Allison, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time, as I know how busy you are. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, my pleasure. And so we're going to start this like I start every show at the beginning. You're a young lady off to school in Rhode Island at the world-famous home of the Bulldogs, Bryant University. You graduate with a dual degree in hospitality and finance and accounting. So obviously from the beginning there was that finance and accounting background, but also the hospitality side. So how did the hospitality side come into play for you at such a young age? Well, I loved traveling at a young age and staying in hotels. When I was thinking about where to go to school, you know, my older sister had gone to school for, I think, child psychology, and she graduated and she was skiing in Jackson Hole and a nursery school. So I think my parents were like, yeah, you have to have a real job, you know? So that's why I thought, well, finance and accounting seemed a lot more stable than hotels to a 17-year-old. So, and Bryant was was a business school, right? So the majority of students were really, you know, finance or accounting or marketing or something like that. So the hotel was kind of like, what is it? Left brain, right brain. I think I got a little bit of... I can tell you my hotel classes and the the people that were in my hotel classes were much more fun to (laughs) hang out with than, than, you know, my friends from accounting and finance. Yeah, they were probably much smarter than the guys in the hotel program. Well, the guys in the hotel program went out, you know, for drinks the night before a test and the finance people went to the library. So I had a little bit of both. Cool. So you graduate and you land, if I remember correctly, you land directly into the corporate training program with ITT Sheraton right out of school. Is that right? No, actually, I went to banking. My first job out of school was with Chase Manhattan Bank and their, God, I can't even remember, maybe credit program. I can't even remember. It was so long ago, but it was not a great place for women. You know, I graduated, I think it was 1987, 88. So it was a tough place. You know, the market had just crashed a couple of years before and it was a tough place and it was even tougher for women. 
And so I quickly decided that was not the place for me. And I had had interviews with ITT Sheraton before I took this other job. <clears throat> so maybe I was in banking for a year and then I went to the ITT training program. The St. Regis was my first hotel. It's been downhill since then, Brian, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> you start as a trainee at the St. Regis in New York, you know, a Sheraton St. Regis. I have a mug that says the Sheraton St. Regis, if you remember. Wow. That's a collector's item. Yes. The Now, were you a finance trainee or were you all over? No, the I did. I did everything. I did everything, but I quickly, you know, if, if you remember that training program, you did a little bit of everything, but I figured I was much, much more suited to go to the finance and accounting office than I was to work the front desk or housekeeping. And so if you started at the St. Regis in New York, world-class, world-famous, obviously your next move had to be to a phenomenal property. And it was probably the Sheraton Stanford in Connecticut. I was with you <laughs> and your lovely wife, Rosa. So if you remember the St. Regis closed for renovations and Fred Kleisner, who was one of the people I have to be thankful for in my career, he was the regional vice president or senior vice president. He ran the region. And that was one of the opportunities to go to Stanford from the St. Regis. And it was close to home and it made a lot of sense. And it's still to this day, one of best memories. And a lot of people from that hotel, Oliver Bonke, you, Dale Curtin, Monica DiGilio, a lot of people from that hotel I've had connections with throughout my career. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's, it was, I don't know what it was. It was 500 rooms or something, but so many people went through there to this day. And I mean, you and I, I was there 87 to 89, and I think I still keep in touch with probably a good five to 10 people from that property. Obviously, I keep in touch with my wife every day, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, there's you, there's Dale Curtin, there's Monica, there's Gay Tursky, who's Gay down Tursky, in Orlando, yes. Ross yes. Hoskins, you know, all of those people. And you know, it was so fun working with Fred Corso as a leader. There's, I don't think I've ever had a GM like him since, you know, all four foot 11 of them. He was a dynamo. Yeah. And he's, again, every, the people you meet along the way determine like who you become in life and in business. So, you know, the things I've learned from that group, and we were so young, if it's shocking mm -hmm. how young we were when we worked there, but Fred Fred is one of the people I'm thankful for because he taught us that you could work really hard and have fun. And like, you just have to laugh at yourself. If you remember all the practical jokes that were played there and he was the king jokester. And that was very different from being at the St. Regis. There wasn't a lot of jokes being played at the St. Regis, but you know, Peter Tishman was my GM at the St. Regis. And from him, I learned you do things the right way. There is a very specific right way to do it. And there's a very specific way to take care of the luxury customer. And to go from Peter Tishman to Fred Corso was so different, so different. But in each one of those individuals, and then of course, Fred Kleisner, Andrew Katz was at the big Sheraton in New York. So, I mean, just in the first year of my career in the hospitality industry, there were like icons that I learned from 
And then there was my peers, whether it was you or Dale or, or Monica or Gay. So a lot of learning happens in those first years that I think determine who you're going to become, you know, 20 or 30 years later. And I think, you know, we, we were lucky because we, to your point, we're all young. Most of us were all single and I felt like we were able to bond. And that was a tough hotel. I mean, the back windows facing the street were shot out with gunfire and there was so many things, stolen bands and et cetera, et cetera. The piano. Yeah. Stolen. Exactly. And, you know, so we were able to, you know, we were young. We were, to your point, Fred worked us hard, but we had fun. And I don't think it ever seemed like work, really. And even when Mr. Kleisner and the family moved in, which can be very stressful when they were finishing his house in Greenwich, you know, even that turned out to be fun. We got tennis courts because of that, if I remember correctly. Right, right. But uh, so you've got this career with ITT Sheraton. That takes you from Stanford. I believe you went out to LA after that, correct? Correct, correct. I went to LA to the Sheraton Grand downtown, which was also, if you remember, the regional office was located there. And I worked for and with some real, again, icons, Libby Sandifer, which was, you know, one of the best salespeople I've ever worked with. Jim Brown, who was a, a legendary finance guy. Al Thomas. There's just so many people in those early years that I learned so much in those early years. And I, to this day, kind of pick and choose from those learnings of, I just quoted Libby the other day. Her famous thing was like, you know, it takes the whole team, right? So you got to be respectful of each group. And she had this whole analogy of fishing and that stayed with me 30 years. Yeah. You know. It's it's interesting because I left Stanford in 87 or 89. You went down there. And then oddly enough, we both joined Interstate in the same year because I went to Four Seasons. And then I joined Interstate at the Bellage in 93. And I think that's when you left ITC Sheraton to join Interstate as well, right? In 93? Yeah. So I loved working for... ITT Sheraton. But I was, I don't know, 20 something years old. I was the assistant controller at, you know, the 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 most focused, I guess, hotel on the West Coast because the regional office was there. And so I'm at ITT Sheraton. I'm there probably, I don't know, five years. And I'm up for a controller position at a hotel. And I was arguably the best candidate. But HR called me and said, look, you should have this job, but this ownership group does not like female controllers. And this is a major Fortune 100 company that owned this hotel. And I, you know, I had to just let that absorb. And it's like, well, okay, what are you going to do? And this is, you know, we've come a long way in 30 years, but I was, you know, a lot of my career has been based on fate, being in the right place at the right time. I think I work hard. I think I'm relatively smart, but you know, don't discount luck and happenstance. So I was on a flight back east. My family was on the East Coast. I was flying back, I think around Christmas time. And I ran into Fred Kleisner and I was kind of telling him the story. How's it going? And he said, oh, you should come work with me at Interstate. I didn't even know who Interstate was, you know. So I then sent my resume over to Interstate. I think I faxed it over to Interstate and I got a phone call and, uh, you know, 
two months later, I was working for Interstate. Yeah, I felt the same way. I was at Four Seasons Beverly Hills and, you know, everybody said, why would you join Interstate? But I was, you know, you know me then. I was young, impatient and wanted to be a GM by the time I was 30. So, you know, Interstate was a great company. They were growing. They were doing some really cool things. And and Bob Graney, who was a little bit of a legend for many reasons, talked me into joining him at the Bellage. And, you know, I just had a blast. And sure enough, he said, join Interstate and we'll make you a GM within the year. And they did. So I loved it. Yeah, Interstate was, it's ironic now that I'm at Ambridge, which is, you know, heritage Interstate. And a lot of people that I worked with, I worked at Interstate for five years, I think. Mm-hmm. I, again, people I have to thank, Ted Darnell, Bob Greeny, Mike Miner, a, a bunch of people that I worked, Julie Regal, just so many people that I worked with at Interstate. Interstate was a great, great company. Dave Milas, which, you know, you and I have a relationship with Dave too. Interstate was where I really learned the mechanics of the hotel industry, more so than than IET t-shirts. And that was a lot about branding and a lot about, you know, hospitality. But Interstate was laser focused on how an owner made money and certain things, you know, Interstate had very clear guidelines and policies. Like it's not what you expect, expect, it's what you inspect. And, you know, you lie, you die, like tell the truth or you're going to get fired. And, you know, just very clear, you know, rate is good, but cash is king. They just had very simple ways of explaining complex situations. And for someone who I think I was, you know, in my late twenties, when I joined Interstate, it was a really, really solid foundation. And years after I left Interstate, people would call me, I was out of finance at this point, and they would say, I need some, you know, interstate finance people, because they were that good. And I was in the finance department at that time. Yeah, well, that was, I guess, yours and my first venture into the third party world, right? Because we yeah. always worked yeah. for the, you know, I worked for Four Seasons, I worked for ITT Sheraton. So when you're working for the brand, it's a little different. And, you know, I remember just listening in as my first couple of property reviews with Alan Creamy and Greg Robinson and Ted Darnell. And I just said, wow, this is a whole new world. I mean, they're looking at this business as a business and talk about learning. Interstate was definitely where I picked up most of my hotel sense, I would think anyways. But so the interesting thing is there's such an interrelationship between Interstate and then Starwood Lodging. So I'm always fascinated because I got into Starwood Lodging through Ted asking me to talk to Rick Sewell. How did you go from Interstate? What was the connection between Interstate and then when you joined Starwood? Because I think you joined in 2000. Yeah, yeah, um, late 99. So the connection, so Star, I had worked for two companies, essentially. I mean, the banking in the hotel industry, ITT, Sheraton, and Interstate. You were at Starwood Lodge and I was at Starwood Hotel. So I think you guys all went over in like 96, 97, and I didn't go over for a couple of years. But everyone that I had worked with in my past were all now at Starwood Hotels. So Ted Darnell, Bob Graney, Mike Miner, Jeff Bellotti, Bob Cotter, Denise Cole, Carla Murray, Monica DiGilio, Dale Curtin. So because ITT 
Sheraton and Weston, and I was at the Weston Bonaventure, if you remember, with Interstate. So mm -hmm. we were their first franchisee. Fred was at Weston at the time. So the combination of Weston, Sheraton, and Interstate, like the joke was, where else was I going to go? Because all of my references were at Starwood Hotels. So <laughs> I couldn't go somewhere else because all my references wanted me to go there. I had over the years talked to them, but you know, I was really committed to the job I was doing. I was a regional controller. I had a lot of people that worked with me and for me. And then Patriot America bought Interstate Hotels in they were going to move to Dallas. It's like this, this, it's crazy when you look back on 30 years, how many things. So I said, well, I don't want to move to Dallas. And Ted was looking at someone for owner relations at Starwood and they needed someone who understand operations, but also knew all of the senior executives that were getting bombarded with merger related questions. And so Ted has played a really, really fundamental role in my career. I joined a Starwood with Ted and Rex. And Rex, I should probably give the most thanks for. Rex Warren was my regional controller at Interstate. I left, I interviewed with Rex and Hank Schifoni at the Bellage with you and Greeny there <laughs> from Sheraton. And so Rex and Ted basically are responsible for a lot of my career. So I came over to join Starwood and then I, I knew Bob and Jeff and some of the others from my ITT Sheraton days. Denise. Man, you mentioned a name that I haven't thought about for a little while, who I love, which is Rex Warren. And I have lost touch with Rex. He became a professor somewhere here on the East Coast, right? Yeah, Johnson and Wales. Is he still doing that, do you know? or You know, he is. He was still doing. He's moved back to Texas. So he's in Texas now with his Laura and Rex. And his son, Adam, who was, you know, a toddler when we first met, he actually works for Ambridge. Adam is in the oh, hospitality wow. industry and revenue management. And Rex is doing the professor thing remotely. And he also recently took a job in finance, mainly just to get out of Laura's hair, I think. So Rex was one of these great, super smart, super fun and funny person and he could take really complex things and boil them down to simplicity. And so one of the things I'm very grateful for and thankful for is working with someone like Rex, who taught you that, you know, sometimes being in finance, you got to be the bad guy, you got to be a name one, you got to, but he, he had a way of doing it with humor and left people with their dignity. It was just a better way to live and to react. And and as you remember, in the early days, the finance, mostly men, they were pretty tough individuals, right? And so they ruled kind of, their term was called controller. That was the name. Yeah. So hence they were controlling. Now they're directors of finance, right? It's just a subtle change, but it really wrecks, I think, even early on in the days. His, his bent was like, let's help people be better believe that people are good and trying to do the right thing and help them be better at it. As opposed to, I think back in the day when they were controllers, it's like, assume everyone's doing something wrong and correct them. Yeah, no, he was, he was great. I, you know, now that you mentioned his name, I'll probably have to reach out to him because I think he'd be a great guest, but okay. Absolutely. So enough about Rex, let's get back to you. Yep. So 
you've got this 16 year career with Starwood. And if I recall correctly, about every two years, you were getting promoted because of your great ability and stuff. So you came in as VP of asset management and owner relations, if I remember correctly. Then you had a stint in there for a couple of years, I think, just running owner relations, or am I not remembering that correctly? So, I mean, essentially when I got to Starwood, there were so many smart, great people in that company. It was really, you know, we were now, I don't know, our early 30s, maybe. It was just a fun place to work. Like every time you turned around, there was somebody smarter and aggressive and fun. It was just a, you know, a very active place. And so I, I like new things. I'm not a good stabilizer. I, I'm not going to be the person that goes to a hotel and, you know, or someplace and just keeps it the same. I just mm-hmm. get bored a little bit. So I basically did whatever anybody asked. It's like, okay, I'll do that. So owner relations initially was, I think, merger workout. A lot of stuff was happening with merger and, you know, where's this file? Where's that file? And so we called it owner relations and asset management and all these other things, but it was essentially fix what's ever broken. And that I think is where my career kind of took a bent where I became like, I had a finance background and I thought of things finance, but I didn't do a lot of finance. I just basically went into an area, structured something, figured out how to get it organized and capable, and then left it to somebody else and went to the next thing. So I was in that group, which was owner relations, you know, the fee team, if you remember that, just a bunch of couple of whatever, whatever anybody need, division presidents needed. And then I got the opportunity to go into investor relations, which when Barry was the CEO of Starwood, he liked people that were considered high potential, right? The ability to move a couple of roles in a couple of years to understand, you know, the the whole company and investor relations was like a prized position. It was the best job I ever had, but I was only in it for eight months because things changed and I had a, I, I went over to W, but it was basically to remember this is who we work for, the investors. And Dan Gibson was my boss there. Casey Cavanaugh was my peer in the communications. She was PR, I was investor relations. And I'm very thankful, even though it was a very short time, because I remember saying to Dan Gibson, having come from operations and finance, like, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he said, it's very simple. You have to answer two questions. Why should we buy Starwood stock? And why should I do it today? And that learning from that, I mean, I use that three times a day at Ambridge now, right? (laughs) Or when I went into development, it's like, I, I gravitate to people who have very complex minds, but can boil them down to very simple things. So Dan was a brilliant guy, but he's like, listen, let's make this easy. You're talking to investors. Why should they buy Starwood stock and why should they buy it today? And so you got, you know, you got to run around the company and figure out what we were doing and what was were happening and talk to, you know, Roland Voss and Jeff Bellotti and and Steve Hankin and the whole price line and the OTAs were just coming up. So it was like a really exciting time in the industry 
for someone like me, who's always intellectually curious, it was just a really great time to, to be in that spot. I got a lot of training on how the public markets worked and understanding, you know, the buy side and sell side and, and whatnot. So that was so, a great gig. <laughs> so how do you, so that's your favorite, but so how do you then jump like to, to w. The chief financial officer for W hotels as that was rolling out? Do they knock on your door and say, Hey, this is the next big thing for you. Or do you raise your hand and say, Hey, no. that looks like a cool gig. No, that was again, being in the right place in the right time sometimes. So if you remember, Barry had announced that W was going to be a standalone operating unit. Mm-hmm. And Ross Klein was the president. Mike Mueller was the head of development. Coincidentally, I just had breakfast with Mike Mueller today. Rich Gomel was the CFO and Brad Wilson was the chief operating officer or whatever his title was. Uh, when that announcement was made and then Mike Mueller resigned a few days later, so my boss, Dan Gibson, was in a car with Barry, if I get the story correct. And he said, you know, I have to find a new chief financial officer for W. Mike left. Rich is going to go over to development. So my name came up and I wound up leaving investor relations to go over to W, which, again, you know, a- another person I need to thank and I'm grateful for is Rich Gomel. The smartest and most humble person I know is Rich Gomel. I learned a lot working with him and for him. I still stay in touch with him. You know, W was a great experience. We launched Aloft and Element and some brands from that. You know, we brought Meridian, the company bought Meridian when I was on the investigation side, and then W team helped out with that. Um, you know, I was there. 18 months to two years, I think. And my title was CFO, but we were really growing out the W for global operations and kind of just figuring out how a brand within a brand family could work. You know, W was one of the first branded boutique hotels. You know, we were watching a lot, Kimpton and others and what they did. So, you know, it was a a really interesting, exciting time at at Starwood and I met, you know, just, you know, people in the industry, whether it was Brad or Ross or Rich or others, Amar Lavani, who's now at Standard, Jim Woods, just a lot of really good people that were there. And then Ted Darnell comes back into the picture because now he's running development. And I was with Ted and Dave Milas somewhere and Ted was looking for a chief of staff in development and real estate. I mean, at the time, real estate included all of our own joint venture leases and deal teams. And like literally Ted said, why don't you come work for me? You could do a little of what you're doing for Ross, which is really, you know, I was chief of staffing Ross at that point. And so I did. And then I had to find someone to replace me in finance, but also in operations, which is when I called Tina Edmondson, my friend from early days of Sheraton, if you remember, Tina was with ITT Sheraton, and then she was on the corporate staff. So Tina came over to run operations. Adam Diamond came over to take my job as CFO, and I was able to go over to the real estate team. So one of the things, because you spent about four, four more years with the real estate group and the development group, 
this title of chief of staff, what, what did that mean? I always looked at that and said, what are you as a chief of staff? You know, it's so funny when you say that, because I was just having this conversation with somebody. So when I took that job, there wasn't a lot of chief of staffs. And so I'll be honest with you. The only term I had heard of chief of staff was from the West Wing. And <laughs> yep. I always thought like the chief of staff in the West Wing job was like the best job. They didn't have to be the president and all that. And but they got to like handle a bunch of things. So everyone does this job differently. My job at this time now, Barry has left. Steve Heyer is the CEO. Ted Darnell's the head of development. Steve Goldman has left development. A lot of changes at Starwood. And, and hopefully Ted's fine with me saying this. Ted basically said, look, I've got to be out and about more on a global stage. But, but you know, Ted is very detail-oriented and, you know, remembers more things than I've forgotten, I think. Mm-hmm. And so because I had known Ted and worked with him so long and because I knew some of the other senior team there and had been at Starwood so long, the role as explained to me was to do things for Ted that he was doing instead of kind of doing the stuff he needed to do or to be out more. And so, you know, that chief of staff role really depends on who your boss is, right? Because you're there to complete them. And so I could sit in meetings with Jamie Spatier or, you know, some of the deal guys, Tony Lourinho, and say like, listen, you got to get this figured out before you come into Ted. So I was a little bit of a guard dog for him. I could participate in meetings when he wasn't there. Ted was only there like seven weeks. So I was Ted's chief of staff for seven weeks and then Ted left the organization. Mm -hmm. So for those, I, I actually, it was a little bit longer than that. It was like two months before that I was working for Ted and doing the W thing. So all in, it was about three months. And essentially I did whatever he wanted me to do or whatever I thought he needed to. So if in my world, the chief of staff role is also defined, again, remember I was modeling in the south of you know the West Wing and an American yeah. president. So sometimes you had to tell the boss things nobody else would tell him. So because I had a very close relationship with Ted, I could tell him things that he needed to know rather than what he wanted to hear. And so I've had the the role now twice, chief of staff, but mine was to to literally be in charge of the staff. I took a very political military approach to chief of staff where you ran the staff so your boss could focus on higher things and then you did whatever they sent over to you to do, but you also kept them free to focus on higher and best use things as opposed to, you know, if you remember Ted, because of his detailed style, people would come into him with problems, you know, solutions have to baked. And it's like, no, no, you got to bake the whole solution before you come in because otherwise he wound up doing the work. Right. Right. So, so anyway, so that's, that's how I did that job. No, that's very cool. So as with all things that Starwood, it comes to an end and, then you're able to move very quickly and easily into a new role with Kimpton. How did that come about? Because that was a nice jump right into the chief development officer with Kimpton, right? Yeah. So Starwood got acquired by Marriott in December of 16. And I had talked to Tony about going over to Marriott, but 
I mean, to be honest, Mary had really good guys in development. I didn't see a position there that made sense for me and for them. And, you know, we had pretty good severance package at Starwood. So I, for the first time ever, since I had started working after undergrad, I took time off. I remember I gave my laptop back to, to Starwood, Marriott, whatever, on December 31st. And I got on a plane and went to Australia that night. And <laughs> so I just said, you know what, I'm going to take a break and really just, I had you know, pretty much my whole career, I was like, sure, whatever, whatever somebody wanted me to do, I just did. And it was great. And I learned a lot. But I had committed to myself that I was going to take time to figure out what I really liked doing. So I took no calls, I took one call just as a favor to somebody, but I took no calls for the first three or four months. And then I was getting calls, Reno, which CEO of Kimpton is another person I'm really thankful for having met and worked with. I had talked to him, I don't know, earlier, maybe actually, maybe like March of that year. And I was trying to get the job for people that had worked for me. I didn't think I was the right person for Kimpton, but I said, I'll go out and meet with them and I'll pitch them on why this person or this person, this person should be their chief development officer. And Kimpton had just been acquired or maybe a year or two been acquired by IHG, and they were trying to figure out what was next for Kimpton because now they were the independent boutique brand and now they're part of this big brand family. So, you know, I tried to like uh, push them to hire somebody that worked for me before it didn't work out. I said, look, it's not right for me, whatever. We left about three months later in June, I think it was, the recruiter and Mike Prino called me. And if you know anything about Mike DeFrino, another brilliant guy, very, very, very smart, but also very people focused and very funny, like extremely funny. And he called me and said, look, we were well down the road with another candidate, that candidate. And I know DeFrino won't mind me saying this, but he said that candidate, you know, it didn't work out. And I, I really just can't do recruiting anymore. Can you just please come to him dinner? Something to that effect. Like if I have to recruit people for any longer. And I remember I was at the beach and I just started laughing and I said, all right, let's give this a shot. Like literally that quickly, because I know me. And if I really like the people and if they have a combination of, you know, smart and funny and sarcastic, which, you know, hence you and I being friends for so long, you know, I just know I'm going to enjoy that regardless of what it is, regardless of what the issues or the problems are, we'll figure out, we'll have fun at work. And I called Charlotte to Haven, who is another person I'm thankful for. Charlotte worked with us at Starwood and then at Kimpton and she lived in San Francisco. I knew I couldn't move or I didn't want to move to San Francisco. So I called Charlotte and said, hey, if I go to Kimpton, will you want to come? And she had one child, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started talking about kind of what, you know, what is what does life look like for you? And this is, you know, having been the only female in development and sometimes the only female in finance, I and, and everyone says we need more females and more people, more diversity. And it's like to be diverse, you have to think a little bit differently. So essentially, Charlotte said, yeah, I want to come, but I got to figure out how I make time for my family. And so I called DeFrino and I said, look, you know, I want to come. I have this other person. And he said, yeah, let's make it happen. And and we were able to carve a role for Charlotte that 
worked for her personally and worked for Kimpton. And I was like, this is just going to be fun. Right. Cause, and, and, and it was a really great environment. Kimpton, again, the things I learned from Kimpton, whether it was Mike or Nick or, or Ave or Kathleen and just the whole Kimpton team was again, you can do really great work and also have fun. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of times people have to remember that, like, don't take, don't take yourself too seriously. So I was at Kimpton for five years. It was just a great time. You know, we integrated Kimpton into IHG. We kept what made Kimpton Kimpton being the, you know, boutique nature, the, you know, how do you, how do you manage hotels without, you know, an SOP manual, but get people focused on the right things. And, you know, we produce great projects with great partners and great design. Yeah, no, absolutely. So in the essence of time, because I could probably talk to you about 12 hours and it would be the longest recorded podcast and you you have a life. So you have this great five-year run with Kimpton doing some really, as you say, cool projects, both in the restaurant space and the hotel space. And then in July, I think of 22... Uh-huh. I see this announcement that you are being named chief global growth officer for Ambridge, the largest independent third-party management company in the universe, I believe at this point. Yeah. How does that come to fruition for you? Because that is an amazing accomplishment. So Kimpton, just ending Kimpton, Tiffany Cooper, Dan mm-hmm. Borman, people I'd worked with at Starwood and at W and they both joined me at Kimpton and Essentially at Kimpton, at the end, I was bored. I mean, everything was working great. I had this great team. There wasn't any puzzle to fix. The puzzle was working and fine. So anyway, I was still, you know, I wasn't really looking to leave. And I was at the Hunter Conference. And this is, again, another true story. It just seems a little crazy. But I went into Starbucks to get my morning iced tea. And Mike Thiedemeyer was in front of me online. And I knew Mike not well, but I knew him. He was an old interstate guy too. And, and we're just shooting the breeze and talking about business and Mexico and whatever. So we get our coffees, we get our stuff, we leave. He texted me shortly after that and said, Hey, I'm going to be in New York. You want to get together for drinks? I was like, sure. You know, we'll catch up, whatever. Not thinking it had anything to do with the job or anything. And from there, then, you know, we wound up talking and I was not looking to leave Kimpton, but I didn't have that much. I mean, Kimpton was just humming, right? It was perfect. And Mike started to explain to me the vision that he had for Ambridge and what what he was looking for in this chief development officer. And I was like, listen, I don't think I'm the right person, but I'll help you find somebody. And as we kept talking, and if you know Mike Dietemeyer, he's a very dynamic leader that, again, Bill's organization around people. He's, you know, said, come to Texas. I met, you know, our CFO and our head of HR and Mark Tamis, who had recently joined the company. Like, I think I had dinner with Mike on Mark's first day. And so it just, Ambridge seemed like such a good opportunity. The company was evolving from where Dave Johnson had grown it to. And, you know, Dave had done a tremendous job with Ambridge and then he had decided to leave and Mike took over and Mike was building a team. Again, common theme in my career, a 
a group of individuals that were really smart, that were really hardworking, but they liked to have fun and they enjoyed working with each other. And so, you know, I've been so fortunate in my career that for the most, 99% of my career and work life has been with really great, smart, fun people. So I've been lucky to avoid like horror stories that I hear from other people's career. And again, being in the right place at the right time, if I didn't get on that plane and see Fred Kleisner, I'm not sure I would have went to, I wouldn't have gone to interstate. I know that. And if I didn't walk into that Starbucks on that day, I would not be at Ambridge because I was not on anyone's recruiting list for the Ambridge job. So I must have done something right in my past life, Brian, because I've been really lucky. So, you know, I'm going to segue into our normal, after all, it is Tuesday now, and uh, you have thanked a litany of people with some amazing pedigrees in, in the hotel world and the business world here with just some great mentors. So I'm going to turn the mic back over to you if there's anybody else you'd like to thank in addition to those that you've already thanked, or if not, we'll, ju we'll just wrap it up and let you get back to work. Well, I don't remember if I... Thanks, Denise Cole, Carla Murray, Christy Hicks, Libby Sandifer, Zarahi. These were women, Julie Regal, there's probably so many more. These were women that I had met along my career that really led with dignity and grace, even in situations where situations that were tough. And so for you know, it's just when you're a woman, especially if you're in male dominated fields, or I would say if you're any minority, you know, having having people to look at to see them doing it really well is really important. And then I'd just like to thank people in general that work hard, enjoy working and are respectful of others is really a gift that they give to so many people that they may not even realize it because, you know, everybody everyone's life gets complicated. Everyone's job gets hard at times. So there's just so many people that I know the impact they've had on me. They don't know what a big impact they've had on me just by being decent humans that can laugh at themselves and are thankful for other people. Oh. That will cover anyone that I missed. There you go. That's that's a good blanket statement. Including no, that's you, awesome. Including including you, Brian. Well, thank you. You're not, you're not allowed to thank the host. But listen, I know how busy you are, and I want to thank you for taking the time today. It's it's great to reconnect. I'm so happy to see all the continued success that you've had, and you've reached such a great height in this industry. And you're a beacon for a lot of the young female next generation hoteliers and finance folks. So again, thank you so much for joining us. And I'll end this like I always do people. If it's Tuesday, let's get out there and thank some folks. They're going to love it and you're going to feel great doing it. So again, Allison, thanks so much for setting the time aside today. Thanks, Brian. you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it if you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career please reach out to me via our tuesday thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com remember 
a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.